Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King. Welcome to a very special edition of the Esports Gambling Hour, where we're not going to talk about gambling at all, because we don't do that a lot in the offseason when there aren't a lot of events going on. But we are going to talk about something that, if you've been following me on Twitter, you know that I feel very passionately about. It is the recent purchase of uh, Team Coast by the organization NRG. Uh, this is an organization that is co-owned by some of the uh, the Sacramento Kings co-owners. Uh, they've put a lot of time and money into building up a support staff, getting a whole bunch of talented players to replace this Coast team that we never got to see in the LCS. And there are a lot of things that are very interesting about that, a lot of nuance uh, that people have touched on, but not necessarily come all together with. And so I have invited uh, LOL Esports writer Thomas Watts, a guy who should have been on this show uh, well before now if I'd done my due diligence. But I, I sometimes forget that uh, to have all my good friends on here. And it's awesome to finally have you on here, Thomas. How you doing, man? I'm pretty good, Chase. I appreciate the invitation. And I'm looking forward to uh, frantically disagreeing with you about how this <laughs> whole went down. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's one of the things, right? I think there are a lot of very strong opinions on on all sides of it. And I wanted to make sure that whoever I had on this podcast disagreed with me on at least some of the things. But I want to start by the things that I think everyone needs to understand and agree upon if we're going to kind of move forward with what really matters in this conversation. And the first thing that, you know, this was something that we heard in the first few hours of um, you know, when this move was officially announced, we saw people on Reddit getting very up in arms about, you know, the fact that, you know, energy came in there and turned over all these players and, you know, never gave these coast guys, you know, a real chance to to try out for the team in their words. You know, we saw coast getting upset about this. Can you just talk for a moment about how important it is for, you know, these owners to be able to, you know, when they run a team, make the decisions that they feel are best for their organization, regardless of, you know, the circumstances that might have gotten them to that position. Certainly. And I'm going to pull on some, I'm a big sports guy, so I'm going to be throwing a few big sports franchise metaphors back and forth. But in my mind, in order to succeed at the highest level of any sport, whether it be traditional sports like basketball or football or esports in a team environment, Everybody has to buy in from ownership on down. You know, you look at the New England Patriots, the gold standard of the National Football League. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think there's any realistic doubt in anyone who's co- who even covers that league, you know, token amount that Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, is on board with Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, and the players. They even have the dead gum Patriot way. Mm-hmm. So when I heard about NRG doing all this turnover, to me, that's what I thought it was. Ownership came in. They wanted to start a system where everybody would buy in and be able to compete at the highest level. Now, I think there is a bone of contention that apparently players weren't allowed to try out. I haven't seen some of the specifics of this roster changeover. And if that's the case, that is unfortunate. But what's about to change in esports in my mind is esports are not going to be fun anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't go and spend all this money if you're the NRG franchise owners now to have fun. You are there to make money. And in that context, you have you have to be willing to shift to that context in my mind. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to see a ton of disagreement about how you want esports to go. You know, I put that in air quotes because I think it's going to go that way anyway. But does that make sense, Chase? Do you see where see what yeah, I'm no, slowing absolutely. down? Absolutely. And I think it's it's one of those things that a lot of people need to take into consideration here. We do we, you know, we've seen price tags on some of these sales. We've seen teams go for over a million dollars this offseason. People don't do that for fun. People don't invest that level of money because, oh, this will be a nice little side thing and we can keep all these friends together and, and have a nice little team. That's not why people are here. Uh, Energy and you know made this investment and brought in all these players because they believe this is their chance to succeed. And it's really important for, you know, for this scene to develop as a whole, for, you know, the legitimacy and everything that we've been talking about since the beginning of esports being a thing and, you know, just Letting these sponsors, letting these big money guys invest in this and make it the best product they can be, 
the side effect of that's that it's going to be a business. There are going to be some feelings that are going to get hurt. There are going to be some players. You know, guess what? Uh, the guys who came in wanted to bring their own guys in. That happens literally everywhere. When the Falcons fired the, uh, Mike Smith this offseason, Dan Quinn came in and he brought in all his coordinators. He brought in all the guys that he wanted because he wanted his guys in the system because that's the system they were going with. That happens all the time. And I think that people really need to understand that it's not NRG's responsibility, uh, nor do they owe anything to any of the guys that were at Coast. Once Coast agreed to sell, it's NRG's spot. They have to do what's best for them. And it's really important that we – once that sale is recognized and allowed and we say this is how we want to approach things, we have to recognize the ability for owners to make these kinds of decisions for themselves. Now, where things get a little bit complicated is the fact that they were able to do this in the first place. You know, Once energy has the team, do, they do what they want, and this is something that you know, people are going to have to get over as this gets professional – but we had a rule, uh, section I think 3.2.2 is what it was called. I, I might be getting the specific number wrong, but it was this three-fifths idea that three out of five players basically designated a spot. And if you were a challenger team that played with three out of five guys, you had the rights to that spot. And you could not take more than two guys from any particular team on a new roster and say that it is a new team. This was primarily to block the Lemon Dogs, Ninjas, and Pajamas fiasco that was going on at the time. Uh, it was also at least mildly in response to Evil Geniuses buying out Velocity, which happened around the same time. Uh, only the Lemon Dogs case is cited in that ruling, but certainly these were things that must have been fresh in Riot's mind. And it's something that Nick Allen, when talking about these things on Twitter and on social media like Reddit, has pointed out as being the kind of thing that was made, at least in spirit, to prevent stuff like this NRG sale from happening. So my question to you, Thomas, is do you think that this was a loophole that is being exploited, or do you think that the system has purposely been designed so that we can have these kind of moves? Is this is this functioning as intended, I guess? That's a tough one to answer. I, I have to kind of question any argument that comes up with the spirit of the rule. I mean, if it's not on black and white on a piece of paper, I don't really, I don't really buy into the spirit of something. At the same time, I do certainly see where this could be a quote-unquote loophole, and in that case, it needs to change. At the same time, you know, this is just me looking at it from a top-down perspective. What we're if if we're going let's look at it the other side. Team Coast decides to keep their LCS spot. They keep these five players. What are we going to get? What's the product going to be? I totally understand that the five people on the Coast roster hadn't had a chance to be professionals and take on a professional call it professional environment and try and improve themselves, but. It's not like Team Coast is a bunch of angels and saints in League of Legends esports. So I'm not really buying that side of it either. I think it's a bad situation, but in this case, Riot only has a spirit of a rule. So close the loophole if they feel it's that important. I personally think if they do... They're going to regret it because looking at NRG right now, and I realize that it is very much so the preseason and multiple preseason patch changes have fundamentally changed how the game is played. I get all of that. But if you look at this roster on paper, it's got some very high level players that have done big things for years. And you don't want to say, quote unquote, potential intensifies to borrow some counterlogic gaming parlance or whoever it is, but this roster looks stronger. And if you're looking at it from a league ops point of view, you want to put the best product on the rift. And this team lets that happen in my mind. 
I think that's undoubtedly true in the short run. I think that it, you know, you look at what this team is, and, and let's be clear, uh, people who have listened to this podcast before know I have very strong feelings about Team Coast. I have never forgiven them for running Good Game University into the ground back in the day and literally letting a situation in which the jungler and mid laner did not talk to each other for two months go completely unchallenged. That was something I had a problem with as far as how that management went for a while. Uh, I don't like the fact that they're complaining now about players not being given a fair shot when they literally brought in a miracle and a ringer just a season ago uh, at the last minute to try to qualify for the LCS. I think that on those kinds of grounds, you look at NRG, you look at the support staff they're bringing in. I love Hermit. I think Hermit did a great job with Origin at the uh, at the World Championship. I think that Nasser Alnaki, he's a guy I've had on this podcast. I like his work. I like the analytical mind he brings into this. I think this is a far more interesting team. The problem comes in when you look at the ripple effect that this has. You know, this has been... I no, completely far... agree there, just to be fair, but continue. I yeah, apologize. No, no, absolutely. I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, we look at the short run. This is a far more interesting time, and people like Thorne have pointed out, now we get to watch the best guys play League of Legends right now. But we had the Challenger series in place for the reason that we wanted to have teams fight their way in and prove that they belonged in this region. This is why we had Origin not playing in the spring season. Undoubtedly, the 2015 spring season is more fun if Origin is around. But Riot made it very clear, you've got to play through the challenger scene, you've got to earn your way in, and when you do, we'll welcome you with open arms, we'll market you like crazy, and it'll work out great. It'll be a great storyline. And with NRG, it really felt like they've been able to kind of cut the line because they have Sacramento Kings money, for lack of a better way of putting it. Do you think that this has the potential to delegitimize the Challenger series in the long run? Uh, Because we have this system now that can allow people, if you have the right amount of money, to cut that line per se. Delegitimize the Challenger scene? I'm not really sure about that. I mean, becoming a professional gamer, choosing that career path is fraught with danger. And yeah, does it does the energy situation hurt the carrot, the LCS carrot that's in the challenger scene? To a certain extent, it absolutely does. And I see what you're saying. But it's not like these challenger teams are going to stop competing, if you ask me. You know... What what is the 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 dream of a lot of younger people that play League of Legends a lot? Oh, I want to be the next Bjergsen. I'm going to try and take steps to do that. Whether that's a legitimate dream or not, kids are going to keep coming and trying because I mean, as someone who is only 28, 29 years old on Saturday, oh boy, shoot me in the face. <laughs> I can remember being like, oh, I can get this done. So I think from a player side of things, it's not going to delegitimize Challenger. If there's something that'll hurt the Challenger scene, it's going to be chronic mismanagement of even the true amateur teams that were just five guys that decided to play. Because that's the kind of thing that will leave a stench. You know, it, it, it's gonna. Ha- it would take something that would be such a consistent series of stinks to me. Something like take several of the gambit situations that have caused an uproar and just smash them back to back to back and have them in only North American Challenger or something like that. That's the level I think you would have to go to delegitimize it. Does NRG's action? in some way potentially hurt it in the short term? Maybe, but it's not like we're going to sit here and suddenly the players are going to stop playing or the fans are going to stop consuming the product, in my mind. Right. I I think, you know, when you look at the Challenger series, what's going to happen more than likely, more than a full delegitimization, which is, you know, the doomsday scenario that I kind of painted on my Twitter and I'm now taking a little bit of a step back from, But it's going to change the way the players approach that mentality, I think, certainly. Now, even if you qualify as a team, 
you know, some owner can come in and decide that he's going to rebuild everything the own way. So depending on these five guys and sinking your hopes on that probably isn't the same thing. But we're seeing from the fact that Moon got signed to this roster, there is still room for natural talent. If you prove yourself as an individual, there will be a spot for you at the end of the day. There are still ways in that end to use the challenger scene to show off your individual capabilities, to show what you can do within a team network and make that work. My bigger fear, I guess, is the incentive tree that we have now within the challenger scene. Because when I think about, you know, let, let's pretend for a second that I am a challenger team owner and I'm looking at the history of how these teams go. Copenhagen Wolves make it into the uh, into the LCS uh, in 2014, and they're towards the bottom. Super Hot Crew immediately makes it in, immediately at the bottom of the pack. You look in North America, Evil Geniuses, when they first came in, bottom of the pack. Complexity, they come in last place. Uh, 2015, we saw the same thing with you know with Giants Gaming, with Meet Your Makers, with Enemy, with Team Dragon Knights. We time and time again. We see these new teams come in, and most of them struggle. Every once in a while, you'll get a Rock Hat, or you'll get a, you know, maybe a Unicorns of Love, but most of the time, you get a Team Coast. And if I'm a challenger owner, and I see that, and I look at the risk that this payday that I've been working towards and I've been building up for a while is potentially quite temporary, and most of the time ends up being temporary. And some owner comes in and says, I want to give you the money. I'm going to rebrand this. I'm going to you know, come up with a new name, get more exciting players because I have the money to do this. Just sell me the spot. I have yet to come up with a reason why the challenger team doesn't sell. So I guess my next question becomes, you know, how do the incentives, I guess, change as far as how these organizations manage these teams? And does this put some of the individual players at risk when the owner's incentives are not necessarily aligned in the same way that they might have been in a world before these kind of moves were possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have to unpack that question. No, absolutely. Just a little bit. First off, how does the pursuit of the almighty dollar change the challenger scene? Well, in some cases, in the short term, it is going to bring up things like NRG, where someone's going to come in and they're going to do the New York Yankees, much like we saw in China uh, after the conclusion of the 2014 season. <laughs> but there's going to be a cutoff point. And one of the things that you didn't bring up that I actually want, I want to tangent us a little bit and just ask you a question mm-hmm. Um as as we both well know, you know, you have EU esports law and esports law on Twitter, both very very knowledgeable lawyers that have opined on a multitude of topics. And I read uh, one of their one of their opinions on this change right now, and I just kind of want your layman's take on this whole deal. If you remember way back when, not way back when, the Super Hot Crew decided to control their own brand. They didn't sell to a big name team, and that gave them let's a certain amount of a certain amount of control that the five players on a team like Coast didn't have. In response to something like NRG, do players cut out the middleman, build their own team, brand it, and try and control it that way? In your mind, does another super hot crew come up, and then we can unpack your very long question, Chase, but I want your opinion on that real fast. Yeah, no, I, that's actually a very interesting way of looking at it. I would love to see that. I think the the barrier you're going to get to that is that these are very young kids. I mean, we forget that these are 17, 18, 19-year-olds a lot of the times that are trying to you know, maneuver through this you know, kind of professional world for often the first time. That's going to come with a lot of headaches. I, you know, I, when I started doing this. I was mostly focusing on the challenger scene. I was writing about guys like Brian Franco who were, you know, players were coming to him like, hey, please give us any sort of guidance you have. And he would just completely screw them over because these were the kind of people that we had in the scene at the time. It was very easy to 
kind of take advantage of these situations because these kids didn't know any better. This is – I would love nothing more than for these players to get together and you know, be like, look, we all like each other. We're all going to stick together and we're going to make it work and we're going we're gonna to get our big payday together and make that work for us. That would be awesome. But it would require A, at least one of those guys to have a maturity usually not found in people in that age bracket. That they, you know, these kinds of management, big business types are usually people that have a little bit more experience in this world than these people are likely to have. And it would require an ability for all these guys to stick it out if things ever got difficult, because the incentive to chase that dollar as an individual would not leave. Uh, this is something we saw when you know, Fabiven originally leaves H2K to go for Fnatic, right? You know, this is a team that he'd worked with forever, that, you know, this team was really depending on him at the time. They were obviously, they were able to find Ryu. They ended up just fine. They, you know, they made a brilliant signing and causing and turned what looked like it was going to be a precarious situation and ended up becoming a team that made it to Worlds. But, you know, that could have bounced the other way. And you can't count on, you know, if you're some challenger team, just five guys who basically are only existing through your trust in each other. That's really hard, especially when you consider their ages, especially when you consider that, you know, the lack of experience in these kinds of realms. I would love to see it happen. I have a feeling it will fail more than it succeeds. But then again, many, many, many more challenger teams fail than succeed. So it'll be, it'll certainly be interesting. I think of a veteran, like a wicked doing this, wicked would be the perfect guy to do this. I would love to see Wicked get a team together and say, we're going to do our own brand. Uh, I've done this veteran thing. I know what it's like to be a professional player. I know the hours. I've played with real players like Frog, and I know what it takes. Follow me. Bite into the system, and it'll work out. He could do it. Veterans like him, maybe a guy like Aranea could take a team. Um, but it's it's a very select group of people that could really pull that off, in my opinion. And that's fair. And I'm not trying to steal the hosting duties from you, but I am going to have a little quip. Mm-hmm. Man, it would be so nice if there was, you know, a players union or some <laughs> players reps to uh, to advise these young people. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm channeling my inner Snoopy here when I say that. <laughs> no, I mean this. I mean, look, you're now coming into Walter and my favorite topic on this podcast. So you're uh, you're in friendly territory here, and it's something that. You know, I, I think Bryce brought up uh, in the article you were referring to earlier when he, you know, his take on the situation. If these guys had more control over their situation, were able to more favorably negotiate contracts, a lot of this stuff isn't as scary as I as I made it out to be with my way too long of a question. Um, it's really hard though to figure out where that funding is going to come from. There's a lot of reason for people like NRG to get involved in esports and try to make a profit off of this big market that's just continuing to grow over the you know the next few years uh, by all estimations it's a lot harder to sell people on investing on making sure that player rights are protected and most players are not being paid nearly enough to pull that together in the same way that you know the NFL or the NBA can make their own players association then i think that's a difficulty that is a very hard issue to address in the short term unless a lot of these money issues and a lot of these other power imbalances get settled out in a way that I, I don't even know where we'd begin with that. Um, yeah. It, ju- I was, I'm fairly familiar with the, and I'm, I don't want to get into stuff that I'm not very qualified for, but mm-hmm. the, 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 the labor organizations, you know, the NFLPA, You'd have to figure out a collective bargaining system, and then you'd have to somehow get Riot to adjudicate something where revenue would be split on some predetermined negotiating point. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's not going to happen for a good long while, if you ask me. (laughs) So so I guess to to come back to my original question that we – uh, that we so brilliantly tangented off of earlier. Do you think that the incentives that have now been established, you know, this whole idea of, you know, if you're a challenger owner, you can look at this and say, we can be the next coast. We can be the next team that gets players who are just good enough to get in, just good enough to get us that brand, and then get swept off our feet by people that are looking to invest in the scene. Do you think that that's something that 
is much is is more likely to happen do you think this is or do you think this is more of a kind of outlier that this is something that you know more teams are are likely to do it the traditional way uh and this is just something that happened to have all of the dominoes kind of line up i i don't i think your first uh your first scenario is a little more likely because whether esports fans like it or not Esports is going mainstream. Let me give you an example, Chase, and you could have knocked me over with a feather the two times this happened to me. This pe- during this football season, during this fall, I've covered two football games for the University of Alabama. You know, Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Let's just say that in many cases, the reputation of the state in which I live is well-deserved. <laughs> I'm sitting in a football stadium, football stadium that seats 101,000 people. 30 minutes before game time, so help me if Alabama doesn't play a hype video to Warriors. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, again, I'm sitting here and nobody else in the press box understands why the heck I'm flipping my lid that this is <laughs> happening. But that's kind of, that's, let's, let's call that the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. But there's too much, you know, ESPN is broadcasting stuff now. Uh, you know, you it's it's almost like so, almost every other week it feels like you're reading something where some major group is pulling together a tournament. I'm a big Blizzard guy. One of my professors' sister actually works for Blizzard, so I I hear a bunch of stuff about that company, and I like watching their esports stuff. And if you watched their BlizzCon Hearthstone World Championships or their WoW Arena Championships. Sponsored by T-Mobile, sponsored by MasterCard, sponsored by you know Verizon or, or whatever it was. There's so much impetus, so much momentum coming from the outside world, the outside esports world, the corporate world, that investment opportunities are going to be coming fast and furious over the next five to ten years. And maybe not five to ten. Maybe something new happens. Some new broadcast medium happens and the paradigm changes. We do know in technology that uh, oh, Moore's Law, I don't want to use the wrong law, you know, you're going to have to see a fundamental shift in computing because unfortunately the digital transistor is near the end of its lifespan. So if humanity makes a breakthrough in something like a quantum computer, suddenly everything we know as our understanding of computing has to change. I'm a graduate student in information systems, so I, I went nerd there. So bear with me, <laughs> listeners. Thank you. But there's going to be a ton of investment opportunities, and we're already seeing it. So I could totally see more challenger teams taking the quote-unquote easy route. I would be interested to see in that context Riot close that loophole because as much as as much as you want to believe that – that sort of thing, you know, players earn their spot. Since they earn their spot, they can do with it what they will. That that consistent, that constant, oh, we can just sell off and sell the LCS spot, and Riot will be okay with it because the product is better. In the long term, I see what you're saying, Chase, and I actually am going to agree with you because, you know, the corporate world is not very touchy-feely. If there's an opportunity, corporations are going to take advantage of it, in my mind, and I, I'm not trying to demonize the corporate world, but it's it's just cold, hard truth. And I think Riot will. You know, I, I would bet money that they will change that loophole to the point that, you know, maybe going forward, this NRG situation, if a team sells out their LCS spot before completing a game, the next team down in Challenger gets their spot automatically. That'd be a hell of a contract to fight about, but you know. That sort of thing could happen because I I do think Riot needs to protect the integrity of the challenger scene the more I continue to think about it. But in this case, in the NRG case, because of how the rules are written, because of how they have apparently been enforced, I don't have a huge problem with it. The next time around, you know, Riot's going to get a mulligan on this one. Mm-hmm. The next time around, there's going to be a little more hell to pay if you ask me. And that's the interesting thing to watch as you look at what Riot does next. And I am firmly of the belief that within the next 48 hours, we're going to hear something one way or the other about how Riot feels about this and what their 
their policy is towards this, these kinds of decisions going forward. My my curiosity, I guess, more than anything else, is what they're going to do. Because on the one hand, I think that maintaining a positive challenger series and keeping that relevant is really important towards making sure that your game continues to be relevant years and years down the line. We have seen what happens when the local talent is no longer able to compete with foreign imports. We saw it in StarCraft. StarCraft was huge. People loved this game. And now there was one person who wasn't Korean at the World Championship, and guess what? He got beaten 3-0 in the most embarrassing series in the tournament. This has made it very hard for Western audiences to engage in the same way that they used to. And you know whether that's right or wrong, it's just a matter of business. And Riot has to be aware of that and has to be aware of the potential pitfall of that. But on the other hand, as you're looking, you know, if you're Riot, you're trying to expand, you're trying to get your corporate money. And, you know, as Kane said, you know, in the long run, we'll all be dead. Most esports don't last all that long. We have very, we don't really have any examples we can point to of a game that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road is. You know, I guess Melee would be the one example you point to of a game that's still played competitively and still just as loved by the fan base, if not more so than it was when it first came out. But as a general rule, you know, there's there are a lot of reasons that you could look at Riot and say, look, we don't know where the future of this goes. We know that these are big money sponsors that are going to keep the attention going, that are going to keep us in the focus, that are going to keep making our product right now better. And we'll deal with the future when it comes. And we hope that players just, you know, like you said, players that have those dreams, that have those aspirations, are going to do enough on their own for their own sake, even if, you know, the Challenger series ends up kind of going in a different direction, that maybe it'll just fix itself. Now, I, I guess my, my next question is, which way, you know, if you're Riot, and obviously, you know, it would be kind of crazy to imagine that one person can embody all of Riot's decisions. I'm sure there are tons of executives that are going back and forth and have weighed all of these variables into account. But which way do you go? I mean, I just from a from a personal, what you think is best for both the short and long run of the game? Do you think that this is a loophole that needs to be closed, or is this the time that you take the transition to some of those rumored franchising options? that we've seen mentioned in Daily Dot in the past, where we say Challenger scene is a place to show off your amateur talent like a semi-pro baseball team is to a major league team. And we have our 10 teams and they have all the money and they hold the spots and that's all that matters. Oof. Well, I think if you did a franchise, a la your minor league baseball thing, it would probably improve the product on the rift for the challenger scene because Chase, let, let's be realistic. <laughs> it's a ridiculous mismatch. If a borderline LCS team runs up against that, that's, you know, even that's even competed in the LCS previously. If they run into a, just a challenger team that's in, you know, bottom half or what, like the lower seated challenger teams in a challenger bracket. <laughs> so, the franchising in that sense would let the Challenger Series product during the regular season enhance itself. Here's the problem, though, and I'm just, I'm just looking at this. And I'll give you my answer to your question, I promise. I'm not just spouting off. No, of course. How much harder is the barrier of entry if you franchise like that? And... Here's something that I don't think anybody has talked about. What about antitrust issues? Right now, Riot pretty much control – doesn't pretty much. They absolutely control their LCS teams to the point – You know, the most famous example, several LCS teams approached Monte Cristo to try and compete in OG and Champions winner a couple years back. <laughs> so – Okay, you don't fit for whatever reason in a challenger series roster, an amateur challenger series roster. Put that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Like like where is your chance to compete? How do you give that group of people a piece of the pie? And 
that would be an interesting thing. I don't personally see a 16 to 22-year-old suing on an antitrust platform, but it's a hell of a lot of fun for a, of a mind game to talk about. <laughs> it is interesting, especially because when you look at the origins of the Challenger scene, right? This is something when the Challenger series was announced for season four, it came at the same time that we basically heard that all these other Challenger leagues that you know smaller organizations had run were no longer going to be a thing. And if you were around in season two, you know people remember it was tournaments all the time of of various levels of strength. You had like the Green Forest Cafe was running, you know, tournaments pretty much every month of varying levels, and these teams were constantly competing. It was this wild west of an arena, and Riot has made the active decision year after year to get more and more leagues under their control. First, they wanted a professional league for both Europe and North America. Then they wanted the Challenger Leagues. Then they wanted control over the LCK, and now they have control over the LPL to a certain extent. Um, you know, the LMS, I'm, I'm sure, is going to be coming you know, under that bandwagon, at least to a certain extent. They've still let Garena operate at least to some extent on their own, but you know, how long that's allowed to last is you know, something we're certainly going to have to keep an eye on. So they've put themselves in this position where they hold all the power. And it's interesting to me that some of these teams that are involved in League of Legends have started, you know, coming together as, you know, ownership unions, you know, TSM, CLG, Liquid. We've seen these guys come together and confront other tournaments like, you know, ESL, you know, when it comes to IEM events or DreamHack. When it comes to how those events are run and saying we need standards, we need, you know, X, Y, and Z as far as, you know, competitive integrity and how these things are run. These are, you know, these are the things that we need guaranteed or we're not going to show up. And they bring this up about Dota 2. They bring this up about Counter-Strike. I've seen it brought up uh, in, you know, in a whole bunch of games and never once mentioned Riot. And that I find fascinating. There's just a, a totally different dynamic that I think that you're right. We we introduce this idea if we're going to franchise things, and we're going to give these owners this much more solidified power in their own right. We're telling them, you have this power. You in yourself are such a valuable entity that we don't want you to go away, even if you have a bad season. That changes the dynamic that Riot has with these owners. Whether that's for better or for worse is to, is you know something that we could only really see, you know, if we've ever played out, but it's something that I think is definitely being carefully considered. Do you think that this is something that, you know, if you are a liquid or you are a TSM, is this something that that you're hoping to push or do you believe that this is, you know, that they're better in a situation right now where, you know, they're basically able to, you know, do what they want as long as they play within Riot's rules and Riot tends to kind of have this mutually beneficial relationship that would, you know, that's as of right now been pretty favorable to some of these teams. I I hate to keep sounding like a broken record, Chase, but I have to be honest with you. That changeover would depend on money. Hmm. Would, can Riot or TSM or CLG or, or, you know, pick a powerful esports team name out of a hat just put it in the start of my sentence, would giving a franchise and in many ways empowering the ownership group of one of the, of one of the teams, would that result in more money going into their pockets? And why does that happen and how does that happen? You know, and I say why and how because – you don't i while i fully believe that as a species humans are going to look out for themselves and you should i'm not i'm not i'm not stumping for morality here mm-hmm. but it, it it how is if tsm were to take on another team a challenger team as their franchise challenger team would the cost outlay would it would it bring more profit or would it just be a red line because no one watches the challenger scene right. i personally don't have those numbers in front of me 
I have a general idea of of the dollars and cents involved, but I don't want to throw those out there because I don't think that would be fair. But you know, again, to repeat my 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 answer to your question, does it literally make dollars and cents for this to happen? If ownership can make more money without undue headache or undue strain on their best teams, then it should then they would absolutely be in favor of it. <laughs> and going back to your minor league baseball thing, we have a minor league baseball franchise here in Mobile. We've had it for Christ, 15 years, something like that. I can remember going to games in grade school, and I'm a graduate student now. While it's been a subsidiary to either the San Diego Padres or the Arizona Diamondbacks, a couple of Major League Baseball franchises, it's its own entity. Like it, it, it The Diamondbacks, it's now a Diamondbacks subsidiary, do send players to that farm system, and they do have control over where those players go. But they're still managers, they're still coaches, they're still front office guys that work for the Mobile Bay Bears. And that's what makes the Diamondbacks want the subsidiaries. You know, Christ, the Kansas City Royals just won the World Series because of their farm system in many ways. Mm-hmm. And the Chicago Cubs are probably going to win one in the next five years. They just had the rookie of the year because of their farm system. So you so, can't jinx Cubs fans like that. You just hey, gave all of them a heart attack. I mean, <laughs> I'm really good at doing that. If you listen to any of my football podcasts, I have been banned from talking about several teams because I'm just a walking jinx. But, but, but no, I, you know, it, it just it comes down to dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. If TSM or CLG or Fanatic or whoever can build a fanatic, a, a fanatic, a challenger franchise that does not hurt their main team, their A team, that doesn't put undue stress on that team. They will absolutely do it, and they will absolutely be interested because Riot will almost certainly make it worth their while to do that. So that's what I think would. Uh, that's where I think it would go if the owner, if it could be proven to owners that this makes dollars and cents, and it won't Im- it won't negatively impact their main team. Like I, you know, let's use NRG as an example. Mm-hmm. I feel like NRG would not be okay with Hermit coaching. I mean, let's use Hermit because Hermit will just yell at me on Skype. <laughs> NRG will not be okay with Hermit coaching NRG LCS team and the proposed NRG Challenger team at the same time right. because I mean you that's too many hats for most people to wear. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be if you could get parallel infrastructures that would work. But that's a that's that's a huge outlay because you're not just getting five players; you're getting stuff, or you're getting pieces around them too. Right. But the the other way it goes, and this is something that we've seen the Daily Dot write about, is the LCS spots themselves being franchised. So no longer would the professional TSM, the professional CLG, these would be you know it'd be like the Detroit Lions, the Falcons. It doesn't matter how bad my Atlanta Falcons are year after year, and most of the time we are. We're never falling out of the NFL. Riot, it's, it's something that has been rumored that Riot might lean that way with their professional teams, that the idea that they could build a league around these brands, that the brand recognition alone of having these, these teams that people believe in would be enough to justify giving a more solidified spot, which would, I guess, in some way allow them to free up the challenger scene back to where it was before, you know, this whole idea of letting other organizations take that end as kind of a, a place for these players to make a little bit of money on their own and show themselves off to these big franchises. And we'd have, you know, almost the equivalent of a draft as, as far as a free agency or something would go in that regard. Um, do you think that that's a possibility that instead of, you know, focusing on franchising, you know, minor league teams in this equivalent, you know, this, which, as you said, is an infrastructure that dollars and cents wise has not necessarily proven to be, you know, the perfect system, but instead franchising some of these bigger name teams, these organizations that we know are guaranteed brands, big sellers that people have been behind since League of Legends first was a thing and letting that kind of be the dictate and then let the challenger scene kind of go its own way and trust that it can develop on its own because the product that they solidify 
by letting these major teams remain the major teams, even if they have a slight setback, uh, allows them to do that. Do you think that's a possibility? I could see that, but I would then have questions. Hmm. You very eloquently said that you know the challenger scene would be a place for players to show off and make a little pocket money. Mm-hmm. But you know what's the carrot to compete at the highest level? And let's let's take take let, let's take the most extreme case. And let's say you put Faker on a challenger an NA challenger team. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using this for illustrative purposes. Faker is staying at SK Telecom. The contract is signed. Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. But you take Faker and he proceeds to wreck the challenger scene. But his team is not very good around him. Like he cannot, he is not LeBron James. He's the closest thing to LeBron James on the rift, but he is not LeBron James. Not their League of Legends as it stands, a one true hard carry setup doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. At least I, I just don't think the numbers work. We'd have to, you'd have to get Tim to do some analytics to back me up, and he can call me out on Twitter if he likes. I would I would love to debate with him, but <laughs> excuse me. Um, so so his team doesn't win. Do how does how does a faker get into the LCS then? What is his path? Because. I have a hard time believing, oh, this guy went 10 and 7 on XYZ champion, but his team lost 2 0 to so and so. Yeah, he'd get some statistic pub, but he'd already be gone. I, I feel like you have to keep some reason to. I, I liked the promotion tournament, I, I like the English Premier League style games. So mm-hmm. I personally would be against franchising like you are here you are here you are staying type attitudes because i do think the barrier of entry would change mm-hmm. but you know the thing is does it at the same time would it help the would it help grow league of legends how many new fans would it bring in so i can see that side of it too but for me personally i don't think the system's broken right now except that there are some loopholes that need to have some hard conversations about either accepting that it's a loophole and moving on or closing the loophole and just kind of saying, you found a loophole, guys, way to go. Not going to let you do it again. That's where I think we should be. Yeah, and for the record, I, I entirely agree with you. I bring up the franchise thing because it's been, you know, when you look at people like Jacob Wolf when they've been talking about this and people are like, well, what does this say for the challenger scene? It's like, well, I've got an answer. It's this rumored franchise system. And I think it's, you know, the thing that people need to keep in mind is that you would have to change the way we approach League of Legends basically top to bottom. Uh, you would need to develop, you'd need to invest in scouts. You know, you think about, you know, a player like Jerry Rice, right? He was found at Mississippi Valley State. It wasn't a team that you know was particularly successful, but he had amazing film, and he was able to have a combine where he was able to scout things out, and he was able to you know show him his efforts to a whole bunch of people whose entire job description is just to find talent like him. If you had that kind of infrastructure, then maybe an organization, you know, this kind of franchise system could work. But that is not something we have right now. It's just you know we have individual teams which all have their own separate ways of of finding this stuff but i can tell you as someone who you know is a representative of what is now imperial esports like i can tell you that recruiting is not that fancy across the line uh very very you know you know the top top teams probably have their own scouts that are paying attention to these things 24 7 everything else it's a little bit messier it's a little bit you know these kinds of things you know, there's just more that would need to be done before we get to that point. And until then, I think you're absolutely right that this conversation has to be on. Do we close this loophole or do we let this continue to happen? And I think we're going to learn a lot. I, like I said, I think within the next 48 hours, we're going to get some sort of answer from Riot. I would be very surprised if they want to just leave this hanging, especially given how much people are still talking about it even 24 hours after it happened. 
Uh, I would guess that it's in their best interest to kind of have a stance on it. So it's not hanging over IEM San Jose. So it's not, you know, this thing that people are continuing to write think pieces about and, you know, the inevitable long form Fionn piece, which will be amazing. And I can't wait to read it, you know. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot from Riot and how they view themselves and their role in this esports realm within the next couple days. Uh, if we don't, then I think that says just as much, maybe. Uh, it's definitely a very interesting conversation. Uh, I'm very thankful, Thomas, that you were able to come on the show and have it with me. Uh, I'm very, you know, I think both of us are very interested to see where it goes from here. But until we find out, where can people find you, Thomas? Well, before, before we close, I have to ask since you're doing Imperial Esports, can we call you Grand Moff Chase? <laughs> you can absolutely call me Grand Moff Chase. I have no okay. problem with that. Okay, that that will uh, happen. That's 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 so it has been branded. Yes, <laughs> I'll have to get that on the back of my uh, my signature jersey instead of Red Shirt King Grand Mob Chase. I like it. I think it uh, it's a it's a new you know a, a new world of nicknames uh, possibilities for all of us. Of course, you, you know o- only if we do well. Otherwise, that uh, then we get some Russian uh, deep uh, <laughs> despots getting overthrown kind of jokes. Right? It can, yep, can go that, either way. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, ooh. <laughs> That, that, that is, I hadn't thought of that. We're gonna we're just gonna assume that y'all are so good that you're gonna be Grand Moff Chase. Oh, but no, absolutely. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, hit me up at Thomas H Watts. I generally prattle about football or technology or the ridiculousness that I see on Twitter because some of y'all just some silly folks. Some of y'all <laughs> need to calm down. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but anyway, Chase, thanks for having me on. I do appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it has uh, been a pleasure as always. As you guys know, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast before, there are a lot of places that you can follow what we're doing here. If you liked what you heard today, you should go to iTunes.com slash Esports Gambling Hour and subscribe. Maybe even give us a review. Both of these things are really, really helpful for t- towards getting us noticed by other people. We've gotten at least one review, and I'd love to get a couple more uh, by the end of the week. Sorry, by the way, that uh, I haven't been podcasting recently. I had an ear infection. I can't record when uh, when it's at risk of bursting my eardrums, but it's okay because I'm going to make it up to you guys with uh, a podcast tomorrow with Tim Sevenhusen and Walter Fedchuk. We're going to talk about our IEM San Jose Power Rankings and then a lost podcast recapping the uh, the Heroes of the Storm and StarCraft II BlizzCon finals are going to come the day after that. Uh, I was going to release that today, but I figured that you guys wanted this because this is more timely, and I think, uh, you know, obviously it's something that we want to get a hold of before, you know, the inevitable news thing comes out that makes it all invalid. If you don't want to wait for iTunes to update and tell you when these things are up, you can always follow us at soundcloud.com slash esportsgamblinghour. It goes up automatically on there. Uh, You can also find us on unicorn.com slash community. The fine folks and Unicorn, including Bryce Bloom, who we talked about today are, are always good at allowing us to promote our stuff there we really appreciate it we love working with those guys um and i guess otherwise just follow me on twitter at, at redshirt king certainly no matter what happens here i will be ranting about it and i love talking to you guys about these things so until next time goodbye internet